You're listening to Minding the Brain with Dr. Kim Hellemans and Dr. Jim Davies. Episode 61, Handedness. We're finally doing it. We're finally doing it. We are going to talk today about lefties. Huzzah. But wait, before we get started, have you been to the new picklery yet? Uh, you have, Kim. You know, it's amazing. Mm. People think that one pickle is just as good as another, but they haven't tried the artisan pickles. So true. On campus, I don't know if anybody knows this, we have a fabulous, cute little shop in the St. Patrick's building called The Picklery. They sponsor Minding the Brain, and we can vouch for how good these pickles are. Mm, indeed. But let's get back to the show first. Yes, yes. So let's get to the Southpaws. So today, we're going to talk about what makes lefties so strange. Jim. <laughs> well, it's true. Lefties are a bit strange. Uh, maybe uh, unusual against the norm. How about special? That's more like it. You're right. We are unusual. And did you know only 10% of the population are left-handed? I think I did know that. And even fewer female left-handed people, right? So that makes Kim extra special. Mm-hmm. I sure am. People are right-handed about 93% of the time. And this seems to be insensitive to region or even historical era. Yeah, I saw a study once that looked at uh, about 5,000 years of artwork and found that for people in paintings, when you could tell, uh, 60 to 70% are right-handed. But how about animals? Do animals have handedness too? Yeah, many do, as it turns out, or even footedness. Interestingly, some animals show something like 50 to 50% handedness, like cats, so they don't have a preferred paw. Um, or there's some species that have more dominant lefties. As an example, gorillas are about 75% right-handed, and on the other hand, huh, about 66% <laughs> of orangutans are lefties. Okay, what about animals that like don't have hands, really? Mm, yeah, there's some science that shows uh, species like turtles, for example, have a favored flipper, and even octopuses have a favored arm. Usually the right arm, no doubt. <laughs> Favor favored arm and octopus. Well, who knew? Uh, well, science knew. Okay, so let's move on to a bit of history about handedness, which has had dun, 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 a bit of a dark past. There's actually been a lot of myths or enigmas about handedness and usually it's about the right being quote-unquote good and the mm. left being bad and i think we talked about in a previous episode about the word sinister and in english the word sinister kind of means dark or you know evil and this is comes from um the word sinistere in italian which means left uh and i came to know this because once i was in a train station in Italy and I was looking at the platforms right and left side and I noticed that the left class platform was sinistere and I thought hmm I wonder if this is related to the idea that left-handed people are bad and sure enough it is yeah and the human lefts department used to be on the same floor as me what the human what uh, I'm sorry oh, <laughs> the human rights department I'm sorry <laughs> Ugh. Another example of lefties associated with evil. Yeah. So I know in, in many cultures, being left-handed is discouraged. It's thought to be evil or sometimes a representation of the devil. In the Middle Ages, for example, lefties were accused of practicing witchcraft, and evil spirits were always conjured up by left-handed gestures. And once we had formal education, uh, often lefties were forced to use their right hand by like tying the left hand behind the back. 
And uh, this persists in many Asian countries due to this bad luck associated with the left side in their culture. Yeah, that's that's right. My close friend Tina, who was born in Taiwan in the 70s, was switched. I found out that she was born left-handed at birth and they, they switched her to being a righty. And I, t- I actually tried to find out when this practice was stopped in Canada. Uh, but I really, I, you know, my, my very surface Google searching didn't really yield anything. But I would suspect that it was sometime in the 50s or 60s because obviously I was born in the 70s and I wasn't switched. So it had to have been before then. Right, right. And, but, you know, even though we don't enforce that, the world is still really kind of set up for right-handed people, isn't it? It sure is. Uh, think about things like scissors, can openers, door handles. Everything is manufactured to favor the majority. But the good news is my brain is more cross than yours. Oh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> more <laughs> crossed, more crossed indeed. <laughs> well, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves and jump into the brain just yet. Let's ease in and we'll talk about lateralization in general. Yes, true. So lateralization of the brain refers to the fact that the brain or the cerebrum, has two hemispheres, literally half spheres. And they're connected by lots of different nerves, but the main bundle or tract is called what's the corpus callosum, or this is Latin for massive body. And understanding handedness is closely related to understanding brain lateralization. And what our listeners may not know is that the right side of the body is controlled by the left side of the brain and vice versa. So the brain is quote unquote crossed. And I remember learning this as an undergraduate at McGill University back in the 90s. And my professor at the time saying, we really don't know why that is. And to this day, we still don't know why the brain is crossed in that way so that the left side controls the right and vice versa. And to quote quote, uh, Chris McManus, who is a uh, professor at University College London and is considered one of the greats of the field of lateralization and handedness, he says to understand handedness properly would probably also be to understand cerebral lateralization properly with all its implications for understanding human evolution and pathology. Right. So, what what were some of the early theories about handedness? Uh, so, according to this great review paper I read by McManus, it was studied very little prior to the 19th century, and the first real discussion was centered around Broca's discovery of language lateralization. You remember Broca, Jim? Mm-hmm. Yes. Paul, Paul Broca, right? So, he, he was this famous uh, French physician who had a patient that came into his um, clinic, and he had lost the power of speech. And um, when Broca did a you know, uh, post-mortem uh, dissection of the brain, he noticed that the areas of the brain around the left hemisphere uh, were damaged. So, he'd had stroke or, or lost tissue in key brain regions on the left side of the brain. And he correctly concluded that language was lateralized to the left side of the brain because this distinct region was what was controlling the ability to have speech. So most people have language that's dominant in the left hemisphere and very few have it dominant for the right hemisphere. Uh, Yeah, is language always lateralized or is it sort of a continuum and some people are like, they have Mm. both sides, do you know? Mm. Well, it's in fact uh, still more than right-handed people, right? So... Um, the fact that lefties don't necessarily have language processing dominant in the right side, which is what you'd predict. Uh, only about five to six percent of right-handers have right hemisphere language, but not the majority. And only about thirty percent of left-handers have right hemisphere language. So it's not 
a clear cut mm -hmm. statistic. So after Broca's discoveries, what was the focus of understanding handedness? Well, most modern research originates with the work of a famous uh, psychologist or neuropsychologist, Oliver Zangwill, and he was a professor and former chair of the Department of Experimental Psychology at Cambridge, and he did a lot of research exploring brain lateralization, even though it wasn't considered fashionable at the time. This was in the 50s and 60s. And just a little fun fact, uh, the Department of Experimental Psychology at Cambridge is where I did uh, my, one of my postdocs. So while I was at Cambridge, uh, what was fascinating was Every Friday, we had what was called the Zangwill Lecture, which was uh, uh, the department would invite a preeminent scholar in the field to come and give a talk at our department, and then everybody would take off and go to the pub. And <laughs> Zangwill, upon his death, bequeathed a, a sum of money to be used in perpetuity uh, to pay for this speaker and also to pay for the first pint of beer for everybody who had attended the lecture. So, pretty cool, hey? <laughs> That's neat. I guess all psychology and neuroscience scholars are interconnected in some way. Mm, you bet. In fact, another prominent figure in the field of lateralization or handedness is Doreen Kimmerer, a Canadian neuroscientist who was, for the most of her career, she was at Western University. And she did studies using what was called the dichotic listening task. Have you heard of that, Jim? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. So, it's uh, basically what she showed was that if you present tones or sounds to one uh, ear only, so only your left ear or only your right ear, uh, what she noticed is that some people, well, most of us have a dominant ear. So, when we present information to both ears at once, our dominant ear tends to be the one that hears it. So, we have this competing information. So, for example, most people are right ear dominant, um, whereas some other people are left ear dominant. So, anyway, she, she did massive body of work looking at handedness, uh, hormone, impacts of hormones, so testosterone and estrogen on brain lateralization. And another fun fact, um, Kimura was the supervisor of yet another incre incredible Canadian neuroscientist, Dr. Lisa Galea, who uh, is, she's known for a lot, but studies broadly the, the effect of hormones on brain development. And Doreen Kimura was supervised by Brenda Milner. Oh, Brenda Milner. Um, mm -hmm. So, Brenda Milner was the famous neuropsychologist who studied the, one of the most famous patients in the history of psychology, H.M., who um, mm. uh, had a had the corpus callosum cut to stop epileptic seizures no. from spreading? Not the corpus callosum. It wasn't the, the medial corpus callosum. Nope. He had his medial temporal lobe removed, bilateral uh, medial temporal lobectomy. So a lot of the hippocampus and the surrounding. Oh right, I'm sorry. I'm confusing him with yeah. the. <laughs> mm. <laughs> sorry. That's okay. Yeah. I'm the brain. You're the mind. You're the mind. Yes. Okay. So. Um, <laughs> But, okay, yeah. I do know so, what HM's behaviors were. So, uh, HM, yes. HM could only hold on to memories for a couple of minutes, couldn't create new long-term memories, although Correct. all the long-term memories from early, before the surgery uh, remained intact. So, uh, many uh, had this pretty young, I think, so they did, I think, decades of research on HM, mm -hmm. and we learned a lot about mm -hmm. memory and the difference between short and long-term memory because of this one patient. It's pretty seminal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he only recently died, I think, within the last decade, and they mm -hmm. were able to release his name. Anyway, uh, we should do yeah. an episode on that someday. Anyway, back to handedness. As you can imagine, there was a lot of work done early on to try to understand why, right? Why are some people born left-handed? Early studies claimed handedness was genetic, so it ran in families, but this was very quickly 
countered by studies in identical twins where they found there's really a lack of concordance among identical twins, meaning it's not that uh, if I'm left-handed, my identical twin will be left-handed. No, uh, often that was, hmm. in fact, they, one was okay. left, one was right. So, there are, are there any other biological explanations? Well, research into the biology of handedness really kick-started in 1978 with the publication of a paper by two scholars in the field, Morgan and Kripalis, who looked at laterality of genes, and they concluded and I'm quoting here, little evidence that genetic variation plays any significant role in causing variations in human laterality. Nevertheless, uh, this paper kick-started a lot of biological research into handedness. And for example, there were some early claims that left-handedness was caused by birth trauma. Um, and this was quickly refuted uh, by McManus in 1979, who actually was able to get scores of historical uh, archives of midwife deliveries. Mm. And so he could um, not only he had the data on, you know, whether there was any birth trauma, but also followed up on these individuals in terms of handedness and found absolutely no relationship between birth trauma and handedness. So, so far we've found, like, we've been talking about theories that have all been debunked like that just didn't turn mm -hmm. out are, are there any any other theories that were promising well more false leads <laughs> so claims in the yeah in the 1980s uh people claim that left-handedness was associated with increased autoimmune dysfunction and also claims that handedness was related to testosterone exposure in utero but eventually were both refuted wow so a lot of theories and very little uh very little solid findings that's right, and a lot of neuromythology. Oh, neuromythology is that is that similar to neural flapdoodle? I think that's the word we use in cognitive science. <laughs> mm -hmm. Junk science, junk explanations, fancy words strung together with brain stuff thr stuff thrown in, uh, and a lot of it are just so stories, right? And I don't know if you've heard of what uh, the term just so stories. Yeah, I, I'm used to it with evolution, right? It's it's like a plausible explanation yeah. that people accept without evidence, but like accept too easily yeah. without evidence. That's right. And it was, it actually originates from a book by Rudyard Kipling. He wrote the Jungle Book, but he wrote a book called Just So Stories. And there were things like how the leopard got its stripes, uh, sorry, how the leopard got its spots, how the zebra got its stripes. And they were th just these wild uh, explanations that did seem like they could have a grain of truth in them. So this is often what kind of happens in science is sometimes we we try to look for what is a, a plausible explanation and we try to find evidence in support of that. So I think handedness has just been riddled with these just so stories. So was the was the book just so stories intended to be kind of funny and or was it intended yeah. as a serious No, it was meant to be funny. Yeah, okay. And then, sort of and then Desmond Morris came out with The Naked Ape which was like a, mm. a, an actual serious attempt at explaining things with no evidence and full of very intriguing yeah. things. Uh, have you read that book? No, I haven't. Oh, it's fascinating, no, but it's I've like, heard of it. it's, yeah. it's, it's just full of really compelling just so stories about human evolution, but like, there's not a scrap of evidence in it. So it's, uh, it, it's kind of like the, it's like kind of like, uh, you know, bi evolutionary biologist's worst nightmare kind of thing. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so I guess we can see that the field of the laterality is infused with neuromythology. So let's, let's dive into that a bit. Yeah, sounds good. So, as McManus indicated in his review that I recently read, very, very good, 
Uh, he says, for serious false leads and lateralization, one has to look no further than the idea of brainedness, uh, that most people use only one hemisphere for thinking, the left if they're scientific and the right if they are artistic, with left-handers inevitably being more right-brained or even using both hemispheres. And the idea of brainedness, as with much of neuromythology, has failed to die, with 64% of the general public still agreeing with the statement that some of us are left-brained and some are right-brained. And this helps explain differences in how we learn and that was published in 2017 yeah yeah well people still talk about right brain people and left brain people and I, I, even i still do it <laughs> you do? <laughs> do shame i do shame. well now now i'm being brain shamed i think i'm gonna have to stop but you know the idea that there are some people who are analytical thinkers which is what we often are talking about when we say someone's left-brained versus like a holistic thinker, which is what we often think of as right-brained. There is some truth to that. And some people mm -hmm. are more analytical than others. And even some cultures are more or less analytical. And we talked a lot about that in the uh, culture episode with Nisbet. Uh, but what's not true is that these tendencies result in one or the other hemisphere being used more or being particularly dominant. Yeah, and I've heard that people say right-brained thinkers are more creative Right. And that's, and that's kind of based on misunderstanding, but because creativity involves uh, two phases, it's generally thought of. The first is divergent thinking, which is kind of the idea generation. It involves coming up with lots of ideas and making connections uh, that are very distant that you might not otherwise make. Um, and then there's a the other part is convergent thinking, very important, which is like honing an idea to make it better, eliminating ideas which aren't so good, and sort of narrowing down. Um, and that's more of like an analytical skill. And some people are better at one than the other. But, you know, a, a creative process really requires both. So, you know, the idea that um, analytical thinking is not required for creativity is, is wrong, right? Wrong. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's bring it back to handedness. Yes, right. So... It's true that lefties don't do everything with their left hand, right? Correct. So, motor skill is one example. So, a scholar uh, in 1990, Peters, found that writing hand and throwing hand could be discordant in left-handers. The word discordant means that um, it's not always the same, right? So, I could write with my left hand, but I, can always, I could also throw with my right a third of left-handed writers throw more accurately with their right hand, and hmm. subsequently, discordance is also found in right-handers, right? Only about 3% or 3 to 5% of right-handed writers throw better with their left hand. So what about you? Are you completely lefty? Ah, uh, or do you know? No, I'm. No, I do. Yeah, I, I. There are some things I do with my right hand, including cutting with scissors, because I, I just learned to cut with scissors with my right hand. Oh, so you don't have lefty scissors in your house? No. No. Okay. Interesting. Well, I, and I did. I did look at a paper about like how even determining somebody's handedness is is tricky because people are trained and people are forced and like you know it's like a, not a clear thing. Um, mm -hmm. I've also noticed that ten percent of people at the picklery eat their pickles with their left hand. Um, but anyway, that's uh, mm -hmm. for another time. Uh, do these findings extend to other sports like like hockey? Are people right or left sticked? <laughs> Yep, you got it. There's even a left-handed test or inventory that tells you to what degree you are left-handed. So, for example, you answer which hand do you use to brush your teeth, turn pages of a book, etc. And incidentally, I did this quiz. Okay. There's one that you can find online if you just look up left-handed surveys. And I am 74% or mainly left-handed. 74%. Okay, well, speaking of pickles... Mm -hmm. 
Um, I wasn't speaking. Uh, what is your what is your favorite pickle at the pickle, Kim? Oh, okay. Well, I love the tarragon and dolce de leche pickle. Oh, yeah, so good. I, I you know I always get the oatmeal infused pickle. Well, you know what really makes the pickle? What? The dipping sauces. Oh my god. Oh my god. god. Yes. Yes. Sometimes I get the spicy Szechuan. You know, my favorite is the dill sauce. Dill sauce on a dill pickle? You know, you wouldn't think, but it's just that extra bit of dill. You know, it just takes it to a new level. Do you know if they have pickles for kids at the pickery? They do. They do. Though there aren't a lot of kids on campus, they do have kid Mm. pickles. What's it called? Well, it's just a little pickle. And uh, I think it's called the Pickle Me Elmo. That's the Picklery, St. Pat's, Carlton University. The Picklery at Carlton University. I always eat pickles with my left hand. And I'm a pure right-handed pickler. But uh, yes, so we're talking about lefties and lateralization. I got another fun fact. In 1996, the journal Laterality, it was launched. One of the founding editors was Phil Bryden, another eminent Canadian-American scholar in the field at the University of Waterloo. So many great scientists in Canada. (laughs) Yeah. So was the 90s like a big boom for lateralization research? Yeah. And uh, at that time, there was also advances in neuroimaging or imaging techniques, which meant that we had better tools to explore these biological origin questions. So, for example, advances in technology in the 90s allowed us to look at babies in utero. And and what they found was that babies would suck uh, a preferred thumb. And this ultimately predicted their preferred hand. And importantly, this happened long before cortical connections to limbs were established, which which argues for a prenatal origin of handedness. It's not shaped by the environment. Interesting. All right. So it's not genes and it's probably not the environment. So, you know, what else could it be? Well, let's not throw out all these explanations. Later research in the 90s seemed to support a more neurobiological origin related to gene expression. So it's not quite one gene for handedness, if that makes sense. Yeah. So in early 1991, there was a key meeting that was held in London, England called the Biological Asymmetry in Handedness Meeting. And several prominent uh, scholars were in attendance, including several developmental biologists. And I don't know if you've heard of Walpert and Brown. They had uh, developed the influential F model of how anatomical asymmetries might develop during embryogenesis. No, I don't know about that model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so have you ever wondered why the heart is more often than not located on the left side of your body? Uh, no, now that you mention it. <laughs> hmm. Well, uh, as it showed uh, through these developmental biologists, they found that using a chick as a model, uh, that the, the presence of, um, or the location of the heart on the left side was the, down to the presence of three key genes known as Activin, Nodal, and Sonic Hedgehog. There's a gene called Sonic Hedgehog, like that, like the video game character. Yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog. So this has a, about a bit of interesting <laughs> science trivia associated with it. So the gene associated with laterality uh, was actually found first in Drosophila or fruit flies, and this gene was called the Hedgehog gene or HH, and this was discovered in the 80s, responsible for cell differentiation. And as legend, legend would have it, a research group at Harvard, uh, which was the Taben Lab, was the first to find similar genes responsible for segmentation of the nervous system among vertebrates. 
And anyway, two of the genes were named after hedgehogs, sort of as a legacy to, uh, or a, head, a, a nod to the Drosophila research. So mm-hmm. I think they were called desert and Indian uh, hedgehog genes. But one of the postdogs in the Tabin lab, Robert Riddle, uh, named the third gene Sonic Hedgehog because his wife had uh, come home with a magazine that featured an ad for the game. So, <laughs> that is legend. So scientists have a sense of humor. <laughs> yes, yes. Sometimes, sometimes they do. And I know there's some disease. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's called where your body's flipped, right? And yes, that's right. And yep. Uh, yep. famously, uh, Catherine O'Hara has that disease. The uh, famous oh, Can- uh, Canadian comedian. <laughs> Ooh, lots of Canadiana today. I know, yeah. So anyway, back to these three genes, Activin, Nodal, and Sonic Hedgehog. Uh, how are they related to handedness? Well, the presence of these genes seem crucial in guiding embryo development and making the heart develop on the left side of the body. And scientists discovered this because you can trick it. So you can mm. put proteins on the right side and trick the developmental pathway so the heart is on the right. Okay, so so the same proteins lead to handedness preferences? Not quite, but here's where it gets complicated, and I think we'll probably, you know, drop the biology after this because it is it is a little uh, gets a little complex, in the weeds. In the weeds, but this the you know the presence of these genes and it um, related to laterality of, of other organs gave us some clues as to what possible bio- biological mechanisms might be driving the difference. And it seems as though, and I'm quoting directly from the McManus article here because it is complicated. Genes themselves, therefore, do not code asymmetry, but rather control the expression or not of pre-existing asymmetries from a lower level for which asymmetry was not primarily controlled genetically. Whoa, that's a lot. Mm, mm, Yeah, that's why I had to quote it. And this is why science is sometimes not written for a lay audience. What it's basically saying is that a lot of our biology development is pre-programmed and the presence of certain genes help guide the code. So if something is off or different or pathological with the gene expression, it could lead to subtle or even sometimes drastic differences in segmentation or lateralization of the body and the brain. Kind of how in previous episode, we talked about the female sex being the default sex and lots of genes control for masculinization and defeminization so you can get a lot of these you know things that go a little bit awry or different than than the pre-programmed state and this results in lots of subtle differences in the brain or the body something goes awry and you get a man (laughs) 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 i think i get it i mean so the conditions under which the expression happens can affect what kind of expression there is right so like you know the biological Mm -hmm. environment or or whatever it's just sort of uh sends the gene and expressing in a different direction kind of thing um what else should we know about the biology of handedness well i want to address one more interesting fact the relationship of handedness to sexuality so in the 2000s came the ascent of using a new kind of analytical technique called meta-analyses which is when scientists pool together lots of different papers that all study the same thing and use similar methodology and you can use advanced statistics to kind of make bigger claims about whether certain phenomena exist so this allowed us to make conclusions based on larger sets of data and while the previous assertion was that there was no relationship between handedness and sexuality this had been refuted, um, or there is this assertion, it had been refuted, this meta-analysis of about 20 studies with a grand total of 6,182 homosexual men did find, lo and behold, male homosexuals had a significantly higher likelihood of being left-handed. And a later study showed this for females as well. That's interesting. Do we know why that is, or is there any explanation for that? 
No, but as mentioned earlier, more males are left-handed than females. So there's clearly something hormonal about the organization of the brain that must be influencing this, right? And and this is in mm. spite of the fact that we've shown exposure to testosterone in utero is not a major player in handedness. Um, and but t- exposure to testosterone does show links to sexuality. So I'm sure there's you know more research to be done. I'm sure there's something there. We just haven't yet found a way to demonstrate it. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's uh let's uh move away from strict biological understanding of handedness and um how about psychology? Like are there psychological differences between left and right-handed people? Not much actually. They don't differ on verbal ability except a bit in childhood, but there seems to be a small benefit to right-handers on spatial abilities. Small a small effect so not much to concern mm-hmm. yourself with kind of thing. Yep. And they don't differ on personality at all. So I've heard lefties die earlier on average relative to right-handed people. Is that is that right? That was a pun intended. <laughs> In that case, it's left or wrong. Uh, so that lovely piece of disinformation comes from a one-page letter to nature that was published in 1988 that used data from an encyclopedia of baseball players and, quote, an eccentric usage of the Kolmogorov-Smirnov statistic apparently gave support to this claim. And so this mystery is to why nature ever published the paper since the mean age of death of right-handers was about 64.64 with a standard deviation about 15.5 and clearly not different from that of left-handers, which was about 63.97 with a standard deviation of 15.4. And as uh, McManus says, uh, quote, any competent undergraduate student would be able to show that this was false using a t-test. <laughs> oh, that's pretty, that's pretty <laughs> brutal. <laughs> yeah. Shame was thrown at this paper, but in spite of the fact that no good evidence shows that right-handed people live any longer than lefties, the myth appears immortal. Yeah, immortal. You know, uh, you know what else lasts a long time? Mm, uh-oh. Pickled things. <laughs> All right. This is, <laughs> the picklery is not real. This was our April Fool's Day joke. Yes, uh, there is no picklery in St. Pat's, perhaps sadly. Uh, but not yet. It, it, yeah, not yet. <laughs> you know, fingers crossed. Left, left-handed left fingers crossed. Uh, and a reminder that uh, we are really good at subtly talking about sponsors. You know, if we ever get a sponsor, we're able to slip it into the neuroscience discussion utterly smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> Minding the Brain is edited by Mike Contos and is brought to you by the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences and the Faculty of Science at Carleton University. If you want to support Minding the Brain, please consider leaving us a review in your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Minding the Brain. Minding the Brain is currently looking for sponsors. If your company is interested, please email us at mindingthebrainpodcast at gmail.com. Theme music for Minding the Brain is plucked by Michael Terry. More episodes and show notes available at mindingthebrainpodcast.com. <laughs>